0: Welcome to Grace. You know, it's, it's astounding to me that of all the things that Jesus' disciples could have asked him to teach them to do, the one thing in the Gospels that we know that they did ask him to teach them to do was to teach them how to pray. Astounding. Today we transition from our uh, disciplines related to hearing God's voice through his word to having God's ear in prayer. See, we began our series on the spiritual disciplines with the foundational truth that God is a God who speaks. He initiates with us. He speaks through his incarnate word, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He speaks to us through the gospel word, the saving message of Jesus Christ. His perfect life lived in our place. His substitutionary death died for our sins. And his powerful resurrection raised for our eternal life. All of it received as a free gift through faith in him. But he also speaks to us through his word, the Bible, the scriptures, from which we have explored six related but distinct exercises to allow us to learn to hear his voice. Bible reading, Bible study, Bible application, Bible meditation, and Bible memorization. Friends, how amazing it is that God would speak to us. And if that were all he did, it would be enough. But God is a relational God. He doesn't stop at just a one-way conversation. Have you ever had a, a conversation with a friend, maybe a relative or a, a coworker who just dominates the conversation? right? You try to get a word in, and they're just talk, 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 and you can't get a word in. It's a one-way conversation. You can't get a word in edgewise. It doesn't really feel like much of a relationship, does it? Because they're doing all of the talking. Friends, in our relationship with God, God is not like that. God speaks, but he also listens, So we've explored some ways to hear God's voice. And today, we're going to explore some ways, some spiritual disciplines related to having his ear. Namely, private prayer, corporate prayer, and fasting. Christians, it is an incredible act of grace that we would hear the voice of God through his word. And it's just as incredible that we can then respond to him in a real relationship with the living God by having his ear. See, prayer is a conversation that we didn't start. First sounded his voice, then ours is raised in response, right? Our prayer is a reflex. It's a reflex to the grace of God that he gives to sinners when we respond to him in his gospel message in a saving way. It's like the, the kicking knees reflex when it's knocked with a doctor's hammer. We respond to this God, who has saved us by his grace. Since God has adopted us into his family, he's called us sons and daughters of the king. He says, come to me and call me Abba, Father, in prayer, so that our prayers are akin to a child's cry to his daddy, help, I need something, please. I had a conversation with daughter number two, Sawyer, this week on the trampoline. And it was very random. She was making funny faces, and she made a, a scared face, something like, you know, a scared face. And I said, um, she said, this is, what, this, is, this is what I do when I'm scared. And she made the scared face. And so I thought about it, and I said, what makes you scared, Sawyer? And she thought about it, and she said, well, sometimes when I see doggies, I get scared. I said, well, that's, that's okay. And then she said this. She said, Dad, when you're with me, I'm not scared of the doggies. I'm not scared of the doggies anymore. And I thought about that. What an incredible privilege that we call God our Father. And we can approach him in prayer without fear, saying, our Father who art in heaven. So in prayer, we get the privilege to speak to God who has spoken to us first. Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, introduces us to the privilege of prayer in this way. In wonder of wonders, not only does he express himself and bid us hear his voice, but he wants to hear ours. The speaking God not uh, not only has spoken, but he listens, he stops, he stoops. He wants to hear from you. He stands ready to hear your voice. He wants to hear He wants to interact. He he means to have us not in a hypothetical relationship, but in reality. And this caught me when I first read it. He is even more ready to hear us than we are to pray. Our having God's ear as Christians is as sure as our having God's son. Christian, you have the ear of God. And we call it prayer. Let's turn to God now in prayer as we prepare to sing songs of response, songs of prayerful response to him. Would you pray with me? Father, it is an incredible thing that your son taught us that we should call you our Abba, that we should call you our Father, Father, we were once orphans. We were once distant from you. We hated you. We wanted nothing to do with you. In our stubborn, sinful state, we were uh, rebels here on this earth and you wooed us unto yourself. You sent your very son to live for us the perfect life that we could never live, that we desperately need to be in a relationship with you. You not only allowed him to live for us, but he died for us on that cross. He bore our sin, our suffering, our shame, your wrath against our sins he took our place and died but not only that father we are so very grateful that you rose your son through the power of the spirit from the dead so that anyone who would place their faith in him and in him alone would follow him in resurrection and eternal life and through that faith in your son we are adopted as your children and we can come to you without fear asking things of you wanting to spend time with you, hearing from you. Father, what a privilege it is that we would have your ear. So, Father, help us for these next few weeks as we explore in your word the incredible privilege of prayer. Father, help us to hear and help us to obey. In Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing this morning. Well, you may be familiar uh, with the clip that we just saw. It's from a movie entitled War Room. And uh, in this scene, we see Mrs. Claire introduces Elizabeth and us to what is uh, sometimes referred to as closet prayer, or as Mrs. Claire calls it, her war room. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at uh, two disciplines related to prayer. Today, we're going to explore the first that is, that of private prayer, or praying in the closet. Next week, we'll look at public prayer, or praying with company. Well, this morning we're going to do three things. First of all, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to grab your Bibles out at this point in time, you can do that. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. There in Matthew chapter 6, we are going to take a look at the teaching of Jesus on this so-called closet prayer, otherwise called private prayer. Jesus is teaching on private prayer. Second, we will turn a little bit further in our New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, And we are going to look at the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus, how he lived out his own teaching on private prayer. And then we'll end with some practical application points as we try our best to mimic Jesus' example. The teaching of Jesus, the example of Jesus, and finally mimicking Jesus' prayer life and our own prayer life. So uh, if you would, uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into Matthew chapter 6. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching and hearing and preaching and living out of your word, that your spirit would work through our hearts and in our lives. Father, not through um, some manipulated guilt over the the subject of prayer, but Father, that you would draw those of us who are your sons and daughters uh, into your heavenly throne room. What a privilege it is that we have to approach you. You long for us to approach you in prayer. So Father, draw us into that, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let's begin with the teaching of Jesus, starting in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to focus our efforts on verses 5 and 6. However, we have to remember the context here. It's the Sermon on the, the Mount, so to speak. And while Jesus taught about prayer uh, really in several instances in the Gospels, we're going to focus our attention here. Now, the context of his teaching on prayer is really found in verse 1 of chapter 6, where Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness... In front of others, to be seen by them. So the context of all of his teaching, including that on prayer, is this warning that we practice our relationship with him, uh, not in front of others, not to be seen by others. Well, having addressed the subject of giving right before verses five and six, he now turns to the practice of righteousness in the subject of prayer, starting in verse five. Let's read it together. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. See, Jesus acknowledges here what is true. It's easy uh, in our relationship with God and in our practice of righteousness, so to speak, to do it for the sake of others. In particular, In the practice of prayer. It's easy for us to pray for other people instead of pray for God. Whether it be our our tone of voice or our choice of words or what we choose to pray about. And so here in verse 5, Jesus gives a warning, right? It's a warning about wrong motives as it relates to public prayer. But then Jesus uses that warning to transition into teaching about right motives for private prayer. So we go from public in verse 5 to private in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together. But, but when you pray, right, in contrast to that, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you see, on the heels of this teaching, Jesus then goes on to give us what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I think it should be called the Disciples Prayer, because it was given to us to imitate in our own prayer life. Well, in these two verses, verses 5 and 6, we get the idea of closet prayer, right? Or praying in private. Praying uh, on our own, right? Praying on our own. But notice, there are several stark Contrasts in this passage In verses 5 and 6 there are at least Three contrasts that we see And I want to point them out so that we can learn A little bit about Jesus' teaching On closet prayer The first contrast is a contrast As it relates to the place of prayer The place of prayer Now notice the hypocrite according to Jesus Prays in the synagogues And on the street corners That is they intentionally Pray in public But what does he tell us? He says, but we should go into your room, Jesus says, and we should close the door. Jesus here uh, alludes to the Greek translation of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20, where this room, this private room, is actually a bedroom. So Jesus imagines that we would, in contrast to the hypocrites, go into our bedroom and shut the door. And the point is easy to see, right? Find a place to be alone and to be with you and the Lord, not so that it's a show for other people. But not only, did, uh, not only did Jesus do this, but Christians from his time on have made this practice of being alone with the Lord in prayer very central to their spiritual life. Just a few examples. The missionary uh, David Brainerd said this. He said, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. William Penn said of, of Pastor George Fox, Quote, above all, he excelled in prayer. The great missionary pirate, pioneer Adoniram Judson was said to have prayed seven times a day 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., and at midnight. So in this passage, we see a stark contrast in the place of prayer public versus private. But not only that, we, ass- we see a contrast in the purpose of Prayer, right? The purpose of prayer. See, the hypocrite's motivation is what? The hypocrite's motivation, Jesus says, is to be seen by others. While our motivation, Jesus says, is to pray to our Father. To pray to your Father who is not seen by others, but who is unseen. On this point, Mathis makes it clear that closet prayer, praying privately, is the test of our relationship with God. Saying this, private prayer is an important test of whether we are real. Let's sink in a little bit. Private prayer is an important test of whether we are real. It cuts through the fog and confusion and helps to show that our relationship with God is authentic. See, J.R. Packer, uh, the great theologian, echoes the same. He adds that uh, in private prayer, that private prayer, quote, is an important a question as we can ever face. So in this purpose of prayer, we have to ask ourselves, what does our private prayer life reveal about our relationship with God? If we were to look, if others were to look at our private prayer life, just us and God, what would that show about where we are with God? See, while private prayer reveals where we are with God spiritually, ironically, it is also the remedy for what it reveals. In other words, private prayer is both a diagnosis and a cure. John Piper says this. He says that prayer is, quote, not only the measure of our hearts, right, revealing what we really desire, it is also the indispensable remedy for our hearts when we do not desire God in the way we ought. So friends, if you examine your private prayer life, and you say, it's just not where it should be. It's not where it should be. It's it's lacking, right? It reveals a lackluster love of God. Then friends, prayer is not only the, the, uh, uh, it reveals your heart, but it also is the remedy, right? As we pray, then our hearts are cured. Well, there's a contrast in the place of prayer. There's a contrast in the purpose of prayer. But there's also a contrast in the prize of prayer in this passage. The prize of prayer. Notice, Jesus says that the hypocrite has what? Received their reward in full. That is, in the applause of men. That's the prize of prayer for the hypocrite. But he says that we are promised that our heavenly Father will what? Will reward you will reward you. So I have to ask, as I look at this text, what is that reward? If we don't pray in public for the applause of men, but we go into our closet and we seek the Lord, he says he will reward us. What is our reward? Well, quite simply, we're not told in this passage. We don't really know, but it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to conclude that God himself God Himself in our relationship with Him is our reward, not just answered prayer. John Piper adds this He says it's not wrong to want God's gifts and to ask for them, but ultimately, ultimately, every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of Him. The greatest purpose of prayer is to ask that in and through all of His gifts, God would be our joy. So, the prize of prayer for the hypocrite is the applause of man. But the prize of prayer for the Christian is God and God alone. So, before we get practical and take a look at our own prayer life, I want to look at the prayer life of Jesus. See, here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Go into your prayer room, go into your prayer closet, make private prayer a priority. So, we have to ask, Did Jesus practice what he preached? Did he actually do what he taught his disciples to do? Did he have his own prayer closet, so to speak? And certainly, I think it's reasonable to conclude that Jesus is the best example of what it looks like to live the Christian life. If we want to know what it looks like to be a Christian, we look to Jesus first, right? So what did Jesus do in his own prayer life? Well, I want us now to turn in our Bibles from the Gospel of Matthew to the Gospel of Luke. So turn to the right in your Bibles just a little bit. You get Matthew, and then you get Mark, and then you find the Gospel of Luke. And we are going to take a look at about seven or eight passages or so very quickly in the Gospel of Luke that highlight the prayer life of Jesus, the example of Jesus. We've seen his teaching in Matthew 6. Now let's look at his example in select verses in the Gospel of Luke. It's really a bird's-eye view of the personal and private prayer life of Jesus. Which, of of all the Gospels, it's it's fascinating. Of all the Gospels, Luke emphasizes Jesus' humanity the most. That is, Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully human. In Luke, Jesus is most often referred to as the Son of Man, emphasizing his humanity. Some say that the Gospel of Luke portrays Jesus as the perfect man, our example. So it shouldn't surprise us then that the Gospel of Luke emphasizes the prayer life of Jesus more than any other Gospel. It's not an overstatement. It's not hyperbole to say that private prayer to his Father filled Jesus' ministry from the beginning to the end. From the beginning to the end, from his baptism in the Jordan to his crucifixion at Golgotha, Jesus' life was filled with prayer. Let's take a look at a few examples quickly. In Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it begins at Jesus' baptism. Commonly understood as the beginning of his public ministry. Verse 21. And we'll look at 22 as well. Luke 3, verse 21 through 22. When all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now it's fascinating that only Luke tells us that Jesus was praying before and during his baptism. Only Luke tells us. That Jesus was engaged in prayer. Before he went under the water. And Luke makes it clear here. That the opening of heaven. For God the Father. To reveal his divine son. Was in fact an answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed. And the heavens were opened. This was Luke's way of encouraging early disciples. And me and you. Disciples of Christ. In this day that prayerfulness is something that Christ and Christians do, and God hears our prayers, and He answers our prayers. Well, it begins in chapter three, and it moves on to chapter five. So flip ahead just a little bit, Luke chapter five. It continues in chapter five, verses 15 through 16, as Jesus' early ministry grew, as Jesus' early ministry grew, so did his demand. For time and help. People wanted his time. People needed his help. His ministry was swelling. Word about him was getting out. And people throngs were coming from all over the place. His ministry is booming. It's as busy as it has ever been. But Luke again records that in spite of that, or maybe even because of that, Jesus made it a habit to slip away to his own private prayer closet. In this, clay, in this case, it was a desolate desert. Notice verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and uh, to be healed of their sickness. Notice verse 16. But, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Some translations will say desolate places and prayed. So friends, let me ask you a question. Do you think that you are too busy, too busy to pray? Just don't have enough time? Do you think that there is so much demand on your time for your energy, for your help? There's so so many people needing you that you don't have time to slip away and pray for a little while. Friends, if Jesus could take some time and slip away, even though everybody needed him, everybody wanted him, they needed to be healed, right? But if Jesus could slip away, then friends, so can we. Jumping ahead one chapter to chapter 6. Jumping ahead to chapter 6, we see Jesus engaging in an all-night prayer vigil before deciding upon whom his 12 apostles would be. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. See though Jesus was fully God, he was fully man, and he wanted to hear from his father, "Father, who are the 12 apostles that you have appointed for me?" And he wanted to be so sure about it that he spent all night in prayer. So friends, do you have a big decision looming or maybe a small one that you need God's insight on? Why not follow the example of Jesus? Why not spend some time devoted in prayer, as Jesus did here? Moving on to Luke chapter 9. To Luke chapter 9, we see that as Jesus' ministry grows, opposition to Jesus is growing as well. And so Jesus asks his disciples an all-important question. Who do you say that I am? Who am I? Who do you believe me to be? Luke 9, verse 18. Verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying, notice, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, "Who do the crowds say that I am?" And if you know the text, they give some answers, and then he goes on to ask them, "Who do you say that I am?" And let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus is praying, and then he asks his disciples. Who do you believe me to be? What do you think Jesus was praying about or praying for before he asked his disciples this all-important question? What could he be praying about? I think it's very reasonable to, com- to conclude that Jesus was praying for his disciples to understand and to trust in him as the Messiah, the Son of God. And in turn, God the Father answered the Son's prayer and revealed Jesus' identity to them. Because what, is, what, is, what does Matthew say? You don't have to turn there, but, but what does Matthew say? Matthew tells us that when Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, it was because, quote, Jesus said, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see the connection? Jesus is praying for his disciples. Father, reveal who I am to them. And then he asks them, men, who do you say that I am? And the Father reveals it to them, this is my only son, right? This is my only son. God the Father revealed to these men who Jesus was because Jesus was praying for them. So let me ask you, is there someone in your life who needs to know and understand who Jesus really is? And they need to trust in him for their salvation then we should follow Jesus' example, right? Pray for them. That's what Jesus did a little later on in chapter 9. In chapter 9, just a few verses later, chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, we see Jesus praying again. Jesus takes the big three disciples up on a mountaintop, and as the scripture tells us, he was transformed or transfigured before them. Now, this is on the heels of him talking to all of the disciples about his second coming, and about the kingdom of God being established. And then he does this, starting in verse 28, chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. About eight days later, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and went up on the mountain to what? Pray. Pray to pray. How easy we just skim over that little detail and we get right on to the transfiguration because it's spectacular. But what was Jesus doing with his disciples before he revealed himself to them? He was praying. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Notice again, the father revealed his beloved son to the disciples in full kingdom glory, a preview of his return and the coming kingdom. And it was all in response. It was all in response to prayer. So friends, do you want to have a bigger, better, clearer picture of who Jesus is and his power and glory and might in your place and his kingdom? Well, then why don't we spend some time in private prayer? Fast forward. We're going to move to the end of the gospel, to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 32. Fast forward to the end of the gospel, chapter 22, verses 32, and then we'll also look at verses 41 through 43. So we move ahead in the plot, and it's the evening of Jesus' betrayal. As both uh, Jesus prays for Peter in the midst of an upcoming satanic temptation, and he also prays for himself as he faces the cross. Let's take a look at verse 32. Jesus said, speaking to Peter, "'But I have prayed for you. "'But I have prayed for you, Simon, "'that your faith may not fail. "'And when you have turned back,' Strengthen your brothers. So Jesus says, Peter, there's temptation coming. Satan wants to to rip away your faith. I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you. Then he prays for himself, starting in verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. See, on both accounts, Jesus prays and God responds. Jesus prays in the midst of temptation, and God the Father ultimately keeps Peter's faith from failing. He prays for himself, and God responds by sending an angelic host to strengthen. Him. So, friends, have you a temptation to face? Is there a besetting sin in your life that you're struggling with? Then, friends, turn to prayer. Turn to prayer. Finally, this one is maybe the most uh, amazing to me. Not only did Jesus pray for his disciples, not only did Jesus pray for himself, but he even prayed for the Roman soldiers who had pierced his hands and nailed him to the cross. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. As Jesus hung on the cross, he said these words. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. An incredible, incredible thing. Friend, do you need forgiveness of sins? We all do. Turn to Jesus in prayer as a believer. He is our advocate before our heavenly Father. So what I want us to see is simply this. Jesus told us to go in the closet and to pray. Did he do that? Did he practice what he preached? Shake your heads yes. Yes, absolutely he did. So let's close our time then by learning how we can mimic Jesus' prayer life. Mathis, again in his book, Habits of Grace, he offers five suggestions for secret prayer, closet prayer. Let's close with these. Number one. He says, create your own closet. Create your own closet, your own prayer closet, your own war room, if you will. See, maybe the most helpful thing that you can do for your own prayer life is to find a regular place that you can go to and engage in private prayer. See, maybe you have a ready-made spot that is perfect or that you already use. Maybe it's, uh, it's in your home. Maybe it's your office. Maybe it's simply kneeling down uh, by your bed. Maybe it's at your desk. Maybe it's a sunroom. Maybe it's your porch. Maybe it's the secondary sanctuary of your SUV, right? As you're driving in the car, you drive to work, you, you drive from work, you drive to games, you drive from games, you drive to errands, right? All of that time can be your own little prayer closet. It doesn't have to be in your house, right? The point is, create your closet. Find a place that it's you and the Lord. If you don't have one, make one. Try one. I would suggest praying by your bed instead of praying in your bed, for obvious reasons, right? When I was in college, uh, I was forced to create my own prayer closet. Uh, I was a pretty baby Christian, about two or three years old in the Lord, and uh, uh, my good friend Billy Cash, who was in, in many ways a mentor to me, he uh, emphasized this. He said, Trey, find a place and pray. It's just you and the Lord. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, get alone. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went to college, and I'm, a, I'm on a campus with 45,000-plus uh, people, and I'm living in a dorm room, and I have a roommate. And uh, thankfully, we have our own bathroom in our shared room, which was uh, not the case for many other students. And so I said, okay, find a place. Be alone. Pray. And I began to look around, and I quickly came to the conclusion that there was absolutely no place in Bryan College Station for me to be absolutely alone. No place could I be alone. I could go to the library, but people are there. I wanted to pray out loud. Now, you don't have to pray out loud, but I wanted to. That was my habit. It kept my mind engaged. So I said, where can I be alone and pray out loud, and uh, nobody will hear me, right? I just want to be alone with the Lord. Uh, Long story short, I found the shower. I found the shower. In college, I could go to the shower, and nobody was with me. And I could shut the door and be alone, and I used a lot of hot water from the university, and uh, it was great. Mom and dad paid for it, so it was all good, right? Um, So I was alone with the Lord in, in the shower, and as odd as that sounds, I was alone. Be with the Lord. Find your own prayer closet. Find your own prayer shower. Maybe it's uh, when you go exercise, right? You're alone, you're, you're walking, you're on the treadmill, or whatever it is that you do. You're biking. Spend that time praying to the Lord. Friends, create your closet. Number two, begin with the Bible. I think another helpful way, uh, and again, these are mutually exclusive. Another way you can do it is start with the Bible. See, prayer is a response the conversation that God began with us in his word. So it's only natural that we would spend time reading scripture, studying scripture, and then allow what God reveals to us through the word to then boost us into prayer, right? So we're, we're meditating on a passage. We can p- pause and say, Lord, thank you for showing me this. Thank you for teaching me this. Thank you for revealing this to me. You can ponder the text and then allow it to lead you into prayer. Third, Third, Mathis suggests that we can use the old acronym ACTS, ACTS, if I can say that correctly, ACTS. Adore, confess, thanks, and ask. William Law suggests that in our prayer life, there can be something fixed, that is something we do regularly, and something at liberty, that is something where we're just praying to the Lord relationally. So, If we use this time-tested acronym of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, that can be a nice kind of guide for us as we go into prayer. So we can spend some time adoring the Lord. Lord, you're holy, you're good, you created us, we're grateful for you. We can spend time confessing our sins. Friends, we all have sins to confess every day. And it's a wonderful thing to do as a regular habit of Christian life, is to spend time confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, and seeking repentance. Not only that, but we can thank the Lord. There's so much we have to thank the Lord for. And finally, we can ask, or uh, we can give supplications, Uh, to the Lord. We have all sorts of needs, wants, desires, situations, things that we are concerned about, people who need prayer, and we can go to the Lord in that way. So if you are asking, how do I get started? I mean, how do I begin this? This is a wonderful little thing to use. A-C-T-S. Write it down and go from there. Number four, Mathis says that we can both divulge and develop our desires in prayer. And I agree with them. Prayer is both for divulging our desires and allowing God to develop our desires. This is a free time in prayer, so to speak. We, in prayer, should be honest. It's just like talking to our, our neighbor, to talking to someone. It's all prayer is, is. talking with our Heavenly Father. And so we can be real. We can tell Him our joys, our fears, our angers, our frustrations. We can, we can divulge our desires to the Lord. But in doing so, God also in prayer wants to sharpen our desires or develop our desires to make our desires more like His. And one way that you can do this is do a, a very simple search. Go to BibleGateway.com, type in keyword search prayer or pray, and you will get a whole host of prayers in the Bible. If you need some format, go to the Scriptures. There are a whole host of, uh, of prayers that you can go, and you can say, man, this is how David prayed. I can use this as a model. This is how Jesus prayed. This is how Paul prayed, and on and on and on. And that is a wonderful way for us not only to be real with God, but to allow God to shape our own desires in prayer. Finally. Mathis suggests that we should keep it fresh, that we should keep our prayer life fresh. The ways that we can pray are vast and numerous, so it's good to keep it fresh, right? So we can pray out loud, we can pray silently. You can write your prayers down, or you don't have to. You can use a prayer journal, a wonderful way to prayer. You can keep a list of prayers. You can have certain prayers for every day. You can pray for your family one day. You can pray for your church the next day. You can pray for your co-workers the next day. It can be as structured or as unstructured as you want. You can pray with fasting. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. You can pray with journaling. You can even take an extended uh, period of time away if you're so fortunate, spend an hour or two, get away, be alone, take a long walk in the woods, and spend some time in prayer. He says, keep it fresh. And here's the deal. It's been true in my life, and I'm sure it's true in, in your life. Our prayer life... Changes and develops depending upon where we are in our position in life. Some of you are young mothers and prayer is hard. Some of you are retired and you have all sorts of time on your hands. And some of you are somewhere in between. Prayer can look different in different seasons of life. But the most important thing is that we do it, that we pray, that we seek the Lord, that we go into our prayer closet and spend some time with Him. So here's how we're going to close our time I'm going to ask that you stand. With me, and we are going to say a prayer from Matthew chapter 6. So let's stand together, and we're going to say Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. It should be very familiar to you. Let's repeat it together a great way to close our time together. Here we go. This then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And God's people said, amen. See you next week. Hey, join us for lunch.